I want to tell the story about how yesterday, walking through Washington Square Park, picking up litter, a guy forced me to take $20 for picking up litter. So the story is that, well, you have to go back a bit. In 2017, people who have looked at my blog have seen that I decided in 2017 I would pick up at least one piece of litter every day, and I have. And since then, I've gone across the country. I've picked them up in all the states that I took the train across the country, including in the 48 hours from L.A. to Houston at these whistle stops. It would be hours and hours since, forget about wireless connection, we had no phone whatsoever. Even then at these whistle stops in the middle of nowhere, hours and hours and hours away from some place where people lived, there would still be litter there. So it's not just some city thing, but it's definitely a city thing. And then since the pandemic, when Washington Square Park, which is something like my backyard, the northwest corner, which always had people selling weed in it, you know, go walking through at night. I've lived here 21 years. There's always been someone like weed, weed, smoke, smoke, want to buy some weed. But now it's fentanyl, meth, crack, syringes all over. So there's still the weed dealers, but separate from them is the heroin and crack and fentanyl and opiate users. It's a big difference. Weed dealers want customers to come. They want the park to, they don't really care about it that much, like someone who lives here, but they want people to feel comfortable coming there. But the heroin and crack fentanyl users, as best I can tell, the future is no better than today for them. So there's no point. They leave a huge mess, including the syringes, including all this garbage everywhere. When the pandemic hit, I said, all right, I'm, besides picking up one piece of litter a day, I'm also going to pick up at least three pieces from the northwest corner of Washington Square Park. Whether I like it or not, they're my neighbors. People complain about how the police don't do anything about it, but the police can say, well, we're hamstrung because the laws don't allow us to do certain things. You can say there's systemic effects. The long and short of it is that they're there. I'm here. I'm going to pick that up. Let's see, the few things that, you know, <laughs> I got to tell a story about how one time, they know me now. They see me as the guy who comes through every single day. I've only missed a couple of days since the pandemic began uh, when I was out of town. One time, I'm going to pick up a bag on a bench, and no one's near it. Usually when I see something in, that could be of value, I pick it up and hold it up and lo- hold it, like, look around to no one in particular. Like, so is this anyone's? Anyway, just as I go to pick up this one bag, some guy jumps up and gets in my face. And in my face, he's like, what are you doing? Why did you check my bag? What are you doing? Take my stuff. And before I can answer, another guy jumps up in between us facing him and says, no, man, he's cool. He picks up litter every day. So this is me. I'm there every day. Also, my mom was visiting the other day. And she was, we were down by Washington Square Park. And I said, do you want to go through? And so we walked through. And I walked up to some of the dealers. And I said, you know, hey, you know me from all the time coming through. And they're like, yeah, of course we know you. And I said, well, here's my mom and my stepfather. So we were all talking. And they got to meet the family and things like that. Anyway, fast forward to, or not fast forward. Yesterday, I'm walking through. Doing what I always do is I'm picking up litter. Actually, as it happened, I was going to put litter in this one can. The litter that I picked up, I was going to put in this one can. But when I looked in the can... For some reason, it's like the big can around, but it didn't have the basket inside that actually holds the bag. So I didn't want to drop the waste in something that wasn't actually like for the maintenance people. I didn't want to make it difficult for them. So I went to the next trash can. And as I went to the next trash can, I dropped some stuff in the can. And then there was a guy sitting there eating. And there's a piece of trash on the ground in front of him. And I go to pick it up. And as I usually do, I say, is this yours? As I'm picking it up. And he goes, yeah. And I put it in the trash can. And he goes, thank you. Thank you. And he's really, really heartfelt. I say to him, well, I, what I'm doing is it's just what I do. I don't consider it thanks worthy. And he goes, no, man, you're really doing something nice. You're doing something for the world. And I go, it may look that way, but to me, it's like thanking a parent for changing 
their own kid's diaper. And he says, well, that's, the, that's their own kid. They're helping themselves. But this is the world. You don't have to do that. And I say, I'm not going to try to change your opinion of how you look at these things. But to me, it's not that different. I'm taking care of the world. It's my civic duty. It's like jury duty. This really starts activating the guy. He starts getting like, you're restoring my faith in humanity. He says, nobody does this. I'm so glad to see that somebody's doing something like this. And I'm trying to say stuff, but he's actually doing by far most of the talking here. He's interrupting me a fair amount, which I'm fine with because I'm kind of curious what he has to say. The guy is a construction worker. His hat is next to him, the, the hard hat. He's wearing the vest, the bright yellow vest. And he's talking like uh, not a Brooklyn accent, but a Long Island accent. I'm, I'm not doing it very well because I'm not him, but it was like an accent like that. Definitely like this is a, a worker. I'm you know, on my way to NYU where I'm going to write on the book that I'm working on. So it's a nice little interaction there. He says to me, you should run for office. You'd be a perfect, this is what we need, someone like you. And I go, I, I'm not going to run for office. And he goes, because you, you wouldn't be bought. And I joke, well, that's why I wouldn't make it because I'm not promoting buying things. And he says, he keeps harping on, you're doing things out of, that other people wouldn't do. Other people don't do these things because it's like a burden. That's for me, it was, it maybe could have been a burden at the beginning, but the more that I do, and I say this to him, a long time ago, like ten, almost 10 years ago, I challenged myself to go, oh, I should give some background here. I, actually, this is what I said to him. I said, picking up the litter and putting it in the trash can is not making the world cleaner. It's just moving stuff around. So maybe some of the litter won't make it into the ocean. Instead, it'll go to a landfill, but it's not making less litter, less garbage in the world. I said, what makes less garbage is a complement to this, which I also do. Picking up litter makes me not want to get things that create litter. I say at home eight years ago, I challenged myself to go without buying packaged food. At the time, I threw out my garbage once a week, but with practice, it became once every two weeks, every, every month, every two months, every... And then I said, that, I think that day was the 22nd. So I said, in two days, on the 24th, will be two and a half years since the last time I threw out my last load of garbage, which was December 25th, Christmas 2019. I'm on one load. That's lowering the amount of garbage. Now, picking up litter also, it makes the streets cleaner. To me, picking up litter out here in the park is like picking up litter at home or cleaning my floor at home. My home doesn't stop at the walls of my apartment. This is still my home. And he's like, yeah, but other people don't do this. And I say, look, there's three ways I could look at this. I could try to imagine the garbage isn't there. But there's one, there's no way I can, once I've seen it, I, I can't ignore it anymore. But also, it's more and more all the time. It's increasing. So that's one option. I can try to ignore it. I think a lot of people do that. Another is I can look at it, acknowledge that it's there, and say, well, it's someone else's problem. I pay my taxes. Someone should clean this up. Or I can pick it up. I don't see any other options. And of those three options, picking it up seems like the best thing to do. How could I do anything else? And he's really brightening up at this. He's interrupting me less. He's enjoying what I'm saying. And I say, at the beginning, it was a kind of burden. But everything I do leads me to want to do the next thing and the next thing, and the next thing. You know, in the business world, we talk about this as like having a mindset shift to a learner mindset, and then a, a process of continual improvement that each thing I do makes the next thing possible, makes the, the next thing enjoyable. So really, you're thanking me for doing something that I'm enjoying. It makes me feel good, and the alternative makes me feel bad. So it's natural for me to do it. We start talking about food as well, and I point out to him, I mean, this guy's overweight. He's, I don't know, I doubt maybe 200 pounds, a lot of fat on the guy. 
he's picking up that I'm eating healthy. And I say, look, I eat with the unpacked. He's like, what do you eat? And I, oh, I say to him, sorry, I'm kind of jumping around. But I, I, you know, I didn't write this down. I point out to him how I saw a survey, and this is on my blog if you look it up, reporting what Americans spend their money on on food. When I read that, I think this was before the pandemic, I got out my receipts from my credit card and so forth to find out what I spent money food on. And I told him, the thing that I spent the most money on is not even a category for the rest of America. He said, what? I said, the thing I spend most money on is dried beans that I cook in my pressure cooker. And it didn't even, there wasn't even a category. They had canned, but not dried beans. Otherwise, it's like mostly fresh fruits and vegetables on top of legumes. And, you know, stuff I get from the bulk section, like grains and uh, nuts. So this guy's really starting to get really interested in you here. And I say, look, look at me. So I'm, I'm fairly fit, certainly more fit than him. And I say, I eat to full every single meal. And this is what comes out, right? I'm, looking, I'm pointing out that I'm, I'm fairly fit. And I say, but I wasn't always like this. When I was a little kid, my older stepbrother would like grab my nipple and twist and go, titty twister, because there was fat, because I was a chubby kid. Not by today's standards, but by 1970s standards. And I was very ashamed at that. And I told him how I would always eat ice cream. I always had ice cream in my freezer. My dad would, was one of the first to get Ben and Jerry's because I belonged to this food co-op in Philadelphia that was connected with the Vermont scene. And that was when ice cream got really dense as opposed to the, the fluffy stuff. And I loved Cherry Garcia. And I always had it in my freezer forever until I stopped having it. And now it's been a long time. Now ice cream, forget about that it's dairy and I don't, I'm vegan, but it's cloyingly sweet. It's disgustingly sweet. There's no way, I don't think there's enough money in the world to get me to eat Ben and Jerry's. By contrast, I point out to him, because I'm not killing my taste buds or, or, or super saturating my taste buds with that so much sugar, apples now to me taste as sweet as Ben and Jerry's used to. And broccoli stalks taste to me as sweet as apples used to. And then other vegetables taste sweet also. So I have more sweet in my life, but less sugar, which is what I want. I, I don't care about the sugar. I care about the sweetness. So I have more sweetness, less sugar. And he's really getting into this. And he's saying, like, how do you do it? And I said, you know, there was one thing I did. One time my stepsister saw me putting salt on some food. She said, that's a lot of salt. Now, at the time, I thought that there was a wide range of salt that was healthy. Now, that made sense. I mean, if you grew up near oceans, mostly maybe salt would be okay to have. Now, it turns out Dr. Michael Greger, who's been a guest on this podcast, if you watch some of his videos, he talks about how if you only measure having American amounts of salt, there's a wide range of it. But if you go down to really low amounts of salt, like most of the world, pre-doof, less salt is, is more healthy. So I told him once I did something that I read about, which was to go for a month without adding any salt to anything. kind of knew what would happen, I told him, because when I was a kid, we used to get lightly salted butter, my mom and stepfather decided, okay, we're going to switch to non-lightly salted, to unsalted butter. It tasted really bland at first. And after a while, the first time, I don't remember how long it was, having salted butter after having only non-salted butter for a while, the salted tasted not lightly salted, but heavily salted. It was ah, awful. And as predicted, that happened again. So this is a couple of years ago. I put no salt on anything for a month. At first, it tasted really bland. At the end, I put salt back on it, what I thought was what was the regular amount I put on before, and it was ah disgusting. I couldn't stand it. And now I don't put salt. In, I put a little bit of salt in things, but very little. Well, when I make my chutneys and ferment things, I put salt on, but that's to ferment things. And then I put the fermented things on, so I guess I get some salt that way. And when people come over, I always put salt out because I know that they're going to put more salt on than I put on, but I don't want to put on their amounts of salt. 
So he listens to all this. He's like, that's very interesting. But he says, look, I can't do that. I wish I could, I wish I could do like you could, but I can't do that. And I say to him, look over there. And I point over to the fentanyl, meth, heroin users. And I say, okay, you see those people over there? You know, they're doing all this heavy drugs, the, the ones I just mentioned. He goes, yeah. I go, they tell me that they can't stop. Can they stop? Do you think that they can stop taking meth and crack and so forth? And he pauses, you know, really thoughtfully. And he looks at me and he says, I can. This was this really touching moment. I mean, he's been telling me I should run for office. He's telling me I'm doing all this good stuff. But now he says he can do it. And I don't know if he's going to do it. But at this point, he breaks out. Somewhere around this point, he breaks out. He, he like reaches in his pocket and he gets out a $20 bill. And he's like, take, get, let me give you $20 for this. I said, no, no, I don't want, I'm not going to take your money. I'm not doing this for you. I'm not. And he's like, no, take the money for me. It will mean something to me if you take this money. I'm like, that's, I do recognize the value of someone, uh, you know, if you don't pay for anything, oftentimes we devalue it. And if you pay for something, you often value things more. And I think this is what this guy's saying to me. So I say, all right, I begrudgingly take it. And I say to him, but look, I'm not going to, I'll put it to good use. I'll, I'll donate it to something. I'll put, and he goes, no, spend it on yourself. Spend it for whatever you want. So I'm like, this is crazy, but all right, I'll take it. So the, like, I'm taking the money, this crisp $20 bill. I don't really know what I'm to do with it because I don't need it. But he's really showing like this is, I, he was showing me how much he cared. At some point, somewhere on this, I also realized, oh, I, you know, I wasn't walking through the park for no reason. I was walking on my way to something. I had a call at nine. I looked, no, it's like 8.45. So I was like, yeah, I got, I got a few minutes. So we kept talking for a bit. I had to run, but we kept talking for another maybe 10 minutes at that point. I don't remember what more we said, but it was kind of just talking about ourselves and what our backgrounds were. It was a touching moment. I wasn't planning it. Over the years, I've been struggling with what to say when people say thank you or people say whatever, you know, people say different things. Actually, I'll I'll mention a while ago. I don't know if I've told this story on this podcast. Once I was walking to class along Washington Square Park, I was kind of in a hurry. My rule is that this Northwest corner I've set up like boundaries. There's like a fence around the corner. So sometimes I walk around the outside of the park and if it's inside the fence, I reach through the fence and pick up stuff. So I walk through, I'm walking through and reaching through the fence. And when I pick stuff up, sometimes I say that's one, that's two, that's three, because I want to pick up at least three. There's one time I'm walking south along Washington Square Park West. I reach through and I pick out a piece of garbage and I go, that's two, because it was my second piece. And I hear from back to the right, slightly behind me to the right, I hear, thank you. And I turn and face that guy, and this is, I'm trying to think of when it was, April, a couple months ago. And I turn, this is a pretty tall guy, wretched looking. I mean, his clothes are tattered, scabs on his face. And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, I just pick up every day. And he says, yeah, I see you every day. I want to say thank you. I say, well, yeah, it's something that I do. I think it's important. He goes, yeah, you know, I wish other people did that over there on Crack Row. So I'd never heard the term Crack Row. He says, I wish other people could do this. Like, and he goes, I'm a heroin addict, but I don't let it go like that. I don't know what to say about that. You know, I mean, we've connected. He's, I've seen him there a few times since. And he recognizes me. You know, he appreciates that I'm cleaning things up. And he, I think he hopefully sees me a bit as a role model. I'm not sure to what extent I connect with him. And I've talked to him a few times. Once I talk to him enough, if I talk, whenever I talk to one of them enough, the others start looking at me. If I just say a few words like talk about the weather or occasionally I'll say something like, 
Are you okay? But usually it's 30 seconds tops. But sometimes I've talked to this guy for, I don't know, half an hour. And then other people start looking. And usually there's like an enforcer type. I think there's like, there's some hierarchy of like who brings the stuff in and who's got, I haven't tried to work out the networks, but this guy starts walking between us, like right in between us, which is like incredibly rude, except that I think they're giving a signal, like don't talk. They think maybe I'm a, I'm a dealer. I mean, I, uh, maybe they think I'm a, I'm a cop because like, right, I'm a white, clearly not user, but they also know that I'm there. I've been coming for most of them. I don't know how long the cycle is. Most of them don't stay there for that long. They'll, a couple have been there for all these years, but most of them are there for a few months and they're gone, a few weeks and then they're gone. But I've been there for years. Anyway, I've talked to that guy. And it was funny when he said crack row. And then when I, when I got to class, I thought, do I tell the NYU students about this? And I did during the lunch break, or uh, not the lunch break, the break. Um, it's a two and a half hour class. So we take a break at about an hour through. And I told him the story and they were kind of scared or they thought it was odd. Anyway, this is one of the stories about picking up litter. This guy gave me the $20 bill. That wasn't the main point of it. The point, I think, was him saying that he could do it. I might have said to him how I want to change the world, how I think we all think of sustainability as something that means deprivation and sacrifice and burden and chore. But when you actually practice it, it's fun. It's freedom. It's community. It's connection. It's meaning. It's purpose. And I think he was getting that. Because he was telling me about his diet and how he used to be, he showed me his tattoo, he was a Marine. And he was very fit at that time. Now it's changed and it's lots of burgers and things like that. Doof, he didn't use the term doof, I didn't explain it to him, but doof. And he felt so helpless. There's a lot of systems at play. We live in a world in which all these mega corporations have found that their greatest profits come in triggering our craving, not the betterment of our lives, but our craving, our thoughtless, triggered craving which in its extreme forms would be the heroin the fentanyl both coming from the medical establishment crack cocaine but also salt sugar fat doof and he's living in a world in which his personal choice is very difficult because it's so much easier just to do what's all around him i hope to think that my picking up litter which i do for myself as much as for anybody else also set for him a role model that it's not just him And he's like everyone, I think. I don't think there's anyone who feels like the world around them is perfect and that human adjustment to the world from our ancestral past is purely benign. Lately has been just increasingly getting the mitts into our craving, pulling us around by the nose to where we're fat, feeling helpless and hopeless, guilt and shame and feeling like it's us. Now we are personally responsible. We could break out of this. And some of us, I believe, I think I am, hoping to help others out. It's hard, but we can. If taking $20 from him helps him reinforce that message, that's what I felt when I took it. I don't know how I'll spend it. I'll enjoy spending it. I will spend it on myself as he asked me to, and I'm going to enjoy it for whatever I spend it on. It's not going to be some physical thing. It might be some farmer's latest peak ripeness vegetable, something like that. I'm not sure. I thought to myself as I walked away, should I have kept in touch with him? Should I have told him about my podcast and suggested maybe he listen to it or invited him to be on the podcast? I let the moment pass. I didn't want to be attached to it. He's one person and there's billions of others. And I hope to have that effect on others. This is what keeps me going. It's one of the many things. I could tell lots of stories about how people come back to me 
and show me the pictures of their kids picking up litter that they would not have, had they not learned through me, the parents of how I pick up litter and how I do the things that I do. And I don't know the kids, but I affect the kids through them. That's the story about the guy who gave me 20 bucks. The guy who gave me 20 bucks for talking to him about how the heroin, fentanyl, crack, also the people addicted to salt, sugar, fat, littering, flying, etc. If they could stop, couldn't he? And he said, yes, yes, I can. 